to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome back in to the Lions of Liberty podcast. I'm thrilled to have you guys here listening, as I always am. Crammed in here in the Lions of Liberty studio. Now, for those of that have been listening to this show for a little while now, you know that I'm always kind of trying to steer things towards ideas, towards the philosophy of liberty. You know, looking at the why. Why do I believe the way I do about liberty? Why do others believe the way they do about liberty? I often get on guests that have strong opinions on certain subjects, and I'm always trying to kind of tie that back into this key philosophy. Now, today's edition is going to be a little bit different. Uh-oh. We're not going to be as nitty-gritty on the philosophy, although you know I'm going to bring it up at some point. But really, it's more of a practical how-to guide to avoid a situation that a lot of people find themselves in, and a lot of people find themselves in that situation, often through no real fault of their own, and that is getting arrested. I was arrested for playing the guitar once. A lot of people nowadays, especially, it seems, or maybe we just see more of it because we have the internet, we have Facebook, we have YouTube, we have places to post this stuff, but it seems like people are getting arrested all the time. I'm going back to the piano. That's not good. It's really hard to advocate for liberty or to be free if you are behind bars. And a lot of people are arrested for things that aren't crimes, shouldn't be crimes, and that sort of thing. And we can go all day long through the philosophy of why certain things shouldn't be crimes, why people shouldn't automatically be put behind bars necessarily for certain things. For playing the guitar. And that's all well and good. But if you go out with that philosophy into the real world and you just flaunt it and you don't think about the practical aspects of what you're doing out there, you might find yourself getting arrested. You know, if you get pulled over and you got a joint in your hand and the officer says, what are you doing smoking that joint? And you say, well, marijuana shouldn't be illegal and I should be allowed to. Well, I mean, maybe you should, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're high. But it doesn't really matter because guess what, pal? You're going to jail. Now, that one's a little more obvious, but there are a lot more subtle ways that people expose themselves to arrest. And today I'm going to talk about ways you can avoid that with my guest today. He is a former police officer, FBI agent, state attorney's office investigator, and a private investigator. He is currently a practicing criminal defense attorney based out of Jacksonville, Florida, and he is the author of the book, Arrest Proof Yourself. Dale Carson, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. And thanks for having me on. I certainly appreciate it. Glad to be here. Well, Dale, I'm certainly happy to have you in here. Uh, you know, before we get into your work concerning, you know, the book Arrest Proof Yourself, which I read a couple years ago, uh, why don't you give our listeners a little idea of your background? As we all heard in my introduction there, you spent most of your working life in the law enforcement field. So I'm curious what led you from the enforcement side of the law over to the defense side of the law and further to write your book Arrest Proof Yourself. But I was a police officer in Miami back in the 70s, and I, I worked in the really high crime areas of Liberty and Carroll City, which are sort of the core areas of Miami. And uh, I arrested just hundreds of people. Uh, and, and the typical arrest went like this. And this is by way of background, and it'll bring you up to speed with where I am today about all of this. But the way an arrest typically went was I stopped people for traffic violations. And it's really difficult in the United States to drive a car 
without committing at least a, a minor traffic infraction. So I would pull these folks over, and I would uh, go up, get the driver's license, their insurance, their registration. At that time, things were not as electronic as they are today. And they would pass those documents to me, and I'd peruse them for a few moments. And then I'd ask them, I'd say, uh, you don't have any guns or narcotics in your car, do you? And the typical response, although not always, but the typical response was, of course not, officer. And then I'd wait for a few breaths, and then I would say, well, you don't mind if I search them, do you? And the response typically was, no, I, I don't mind if you search. I have nothing to hide. And, of course, all of them did have a lot to hide. Typically, in the inner city, people smoke dope when they drive their cars, and the possession at that time of just marijuana was a felony. And so, as a consequence of that, I just arrested tons of people. And a lot of that is from their failing to understand that, you know, you have a right against search without a warrant. And the default is you can't search without a warrant. And a lot of people simply don't understand that. So when I ask search, I am asking for you to surrender your Fourth Amendment protection. And people just routinely did that. Well, to be candid, I didn't think about that when I was uh, a young cop because I went to a Presbyterian college in North Carolina, and I came out being a police officer, at least initially, thinking that I was there to help everybody and to protect and serve. And I would frequently let people go. You know, if I saw that they couldn't afford what I thought was the price of paying the traffic citation or whatever it was, I'd just say, look, get the headlight on your car fixed and I won't have to write you a ticket, okay? And I'd send them on their way. Well, there was a big sergeant down there who I knew and was a smart guy, and he kept me alive throughout the course of my tenure down there in Miami as a cop. He uh, he one time pulled me aside, and he looked at me, and he basically threatened me. He said, if you don't start putting people in jail, I'm going to have your job. Wow. And And it really came suddenly to me that one of my primary functions in Dade County was putting people in jail. It's almost a no-brainer, and I soon learned that putting people in jail is how you move through the system for promotions. And every police officer that I ever knew wanted to be a detective. And, it, it you know, we look at Hollywood today. It used to be back in the 70s, you know, there was a show called Rookie, was one of the show about a street officer and then, of course, the, the infamous Adam 12. And those shows were about street officers. But pretty soon, the media lost its, or the population, I guess, the viewers lost their love for, for street officers and they wanted to hear about detectives. And so I learned early on that the way to become a detective is to arrest more people than anybody else. And so that's what I set out to do, and I did. And what I learned years later, I'm talking about 30 years later, 25 years later, was I thought, you know what, that's an insane way to protect the population by just arresting everybody for anything. And it really doesn't solve the larger problem of law enforcement, which is proactively identifying who the bad guys are, focusing investigative energy on just the bad guys, and putting them in jail. And so I really wrote this book to sort of settle the score, 
to make it easier for people who may not be fundamentally skilled in the U.S. Constitution to avoid becoming statistical accomplishment. Because what happens when you get arrested is if your fingerprints are taken, it means that you've been entered into NCIC, which is the National Criminal Information Index. Originally, that system was designed simply to assist FBI agents only in determining whether or not there were similarities between crimes. So if a guy uh, loved to peel safes in a bank robbery from the left to the right, I would know that if I found a safe in a city that was peeled in that direction, I could use that investigative intelligence to identify who the bad guy was. And that was the only purpose it was to be used for. And, of course, that morphed as government has a desire to expand forever. And and now, if you're in NCIC, almost everyone will know that you had an arrest, not necessarily a conviction, but an arrest. And that obviously has a severe impact on your ability to get a good job, to get a proper job, to pay for your family and your financial responsibilities. So just the simple arrest makes a huge difference in your employability and your ability to survive in community. Wow, that's incredible. So even just the act of being arrested, even if you are later found completely innocent of whatever you were arrested for, you are still in that system. And were you saying employers can find that information? Who else has access to that information now? I know you said it was originally for the FBI, but as you mentioned, this stuff never really stays contained with, with kind of our current system here. So who actually, who else has access to that database? You know, pretty much everybody, local law enforcement does through uh, interpact agreements between states. And, you know, people like banks, uh, school teaching organizations, uh, you know, the school board, uh, things as minor, frankly, as a barber's license. Uh, some of those folks have the ability to determine whether or not you've had an arrest by making an inquiry of NCIC, which is the federal index. And you'll remember back in civics, we learned that Florida, as an example where I live, is a sovereign, as is the United States. So somebody arrests you in Jacksonville, Florida. They take your fingerprints. That data goes to the FDLE, which is the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, and they put it in their database, the Florida NCIC. And that information is also transited to NCIC Federal. Well, let's say your girlfriend is mad at you, and she accuses you of a crime, and she makes a complaint a felony complaint, and the police come, they ask you if you knew this girl, you said, oh, sure, and they say, well, you're under arrest, she's filed a complaint, so they arrest you for a felony. That information goes directly to NCIC. One of the things that they're trying to accomplish is to make sure you're not a, a fugitive of some kind, but in any event, you're listed permanently in NCIC. Now, Florida, the sovereign, can take the data out of its own database, but it can't tell another sovereign to take it out of their database. And that's where the problem really arises. It's just permanently stored. And when you think about it, computerization now has really created an environment where once you're arrested and it becomes public record, you're in the system permanently anyway. Even if you go through all of the legal channels, say, as you said, if you're arrested in Florida, you're found innocent, you go through every legal channel there to get your name kind of removed from that system there, well, that's all well and good, but you're still going to be in that federal database, and there's basically nothing you can do about it. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? 
That's exactly right. And more, remember there are private companies as well that download that data. Mm -hmm. So I just tell you that if you are arrested, and this is the basic premise of the book, the basic premise of the book is I do not want you to be arrested at all. And so I teach you things to do and things not to do to avoid getting arrested. And a lot of it has to do with sort of common sense things. How to behave around a police officer in a citizen encounter. How should you present yourself? Should you have an attitude or not have an attitude? Should you drive a car with loud mufflers or not? All of those things that what now that I'm 62 years old, I go, well, that makes perfect sense. I didn't think about when I was 18 or 20. Right. Just never really occurred to me. And so this book is an effort to teach people how to avoid those kind of problems. And beyond that, what to do if you've encountered the problem. All right, it's here. What can you do now, given those circumstances? And again, I want you to win the war over your body, okay, being arrested. And if you've got to to cry or, or to do things, and as shameful as that may sound, it is critical for you to stay out of that system. Right. A lot of it has to do with, you know, we all control where we are present, where we go. We all control when we're there, typically. Those two factors alone can prevent you from being arrested more often than not. For example, you know there are certain areas you just shouldn't go to, right? And there are certain areas that you shouldn't go to at certain times. And if you just keep that in mind, then you don't become a target for law enforcement encounters and if you don't encounter them, I call them the portal to the electronic plantation. If you don't encounter them, you're not going to get sucked up into the system. And I tell you, the system is a profit-based system. We don't often see this, but it really truly is. And I'll give you a, a one example that I've seen recently, and there's been some court rulings on this. If you're in custody and you're in the jail and you want to call home, the way that's accomplished is you enter a PIN number in the phone system, and then you call your house. The people at your house pick up the phone, and there's a recorded conversation that tells them that these phone calls are recorded and that they have to pay for the call, all right? And that call typically costs between 2 and 3 or $4, okay? And that call lasts about 10 or 15 minutes, and that's it. About six years ago, when I actually did the stats, the sheriff's office here in Jacksonville made $2.5 million off of those phone calls out of the jail. Wow, that's incredible. So, and, and when you consider the other aspect of it, if you get arrested, you got to pay a bondsman to get out of jail, which is 10% of an existing bond. So typically there are huge costs associated with getting in jail. So if you're with your buddies and you're smart-mouthing off to the police officer who's shown up for whatever reason, you just need to rethink that position and that strategy because it's not a very productive strategy. And although you may look tough in front of your friends mouthing off to the police officer, I can assure you that 10 years down the road, all of that will be well gone and lost. And you will have the, the, the privilege of having a record like so many young men do because they don't use manners like they should. And it's a real simple thing to use manners and be polite. And that's one of the mechanisms I teach young men and less often women to use when they have these citizens' encounters with law enforcement. And another thing that I've done is I've created in the book 
a document that are called street credentials. And I know this sounds just silly and it just sounds uh, immature, but I can assure you one of the things in the street creds is who your minister is written down. And I ask you to find somebody in law enforcement, get their business card, and put it in that street cred. Because one of the things that causes police officers to make exceptions, because we're all human as police officers still, is to simply know somebody else on the department. Police officers are less inclined to arrest somebody who they think may be a friend of another police officer than they are someone who's not a friend of another police officer at all. So there are strategies and methods that I help people sort of digest and regurgitate when they encounter law enforcement that are designed really to prevent you from becoming a target of law enforcement. Yeah, and your book is filled with a lot of great tips. A lot of it's common sense. A lot of it's stuff you just might not even, you know, might not even think of until you've really been exposed to the inner workings of law enforcement. I, I want to talk a little bit more about this incentive system that's in place. In your book, you have kind of a picture of a, a tally sheet where officers, I guess they tally up all their arrests and that is sort of how they go about getting promoted and getting to that, I guess, the kind of that dream you discussed earlier, becoming the detective, the cool detective who gets to wear street clothes and investigate crimes and isn't, you know, running around on the street all day long. And let's not forget that he gets all the attractive women. Think of Magnum, right? Of course. <laughs> Starsky and Hutch, all those guys. That's it. That's it. And and that is the, the illusion that we've created. And really, it is counterproductive. Because the solution to crime in the big city is not putting everybody in jail for everything. It is not that. What it is is using intelligent sources of people you've already arrested or people who are intelligence snitches, you would call them, in the vernacular in the community, to tell you where the bad guys really are. And we don't do enough of that. We, we permit the system as flawed as it is, to just continue to operate and look at my production, basically, how many felony arrests did I make last month? And if I made enough felony arrests, then I'm better than the next police officer. And that's a really poor gauge of the quality of public safety. It is not a poor gauge of law enforcement. But I think we have picked up the wrong language, really, here. Because this is not about law enforcement. This is about public safety. And there's a huge difference. I mean, you can train a robot to enforce the laws. And the concept of having a human being out there is to add a function called discretion in what they do. And it no longer exists in this environment because young men wanted to be competitive. You remember, you know, you probably played sports when you were in school. I mean, everybody wanted to get that next point or be better than the next person. And that same that same competition, that competitiveness, goes straight into law enforcement when we start talking about arrests. Sure. I mean, we loved having road chases, chasing people through the community with our sirens on. I mean, it was just like being a kid again. So people forget that, and, and yet that is the primary mechanism to determine whether or not somebody should be promoted from street officer to detective. So is that incentive system, is that something that's openly discussed in the police department or is it more, uh, you know, under the table, kind of hush-hush thing? I mean, how open is this 
very perverse incentive system where the more people you arrest, you know, the better your career is going to be because it seems so opposed to what we're always told law enforcement is about or what, you know, most people's view of law enforcement is, which is to protect people, is to put the bad guys away, to get the murderers off the street, to get the rapists off the street. I don't think there are many people, regardless of their political beliefs, that would disagree with that concept overall, but it really seems that what what we have now, at least, I don't know if this applies to every single police department across the board or if it's, you know, more isolated cases, but how ingrained in the system is this this sort of perverse incentive of the more people you arrest, the more your career will advance? Well, I think if you were to ask a police officer in front of a media camera whether or not this were true, there would be emphatic denials, okay? But if you took a guy, most of the guys my age are retired. I happen to still be working full-time, but most of them are, are retired. If you have a beer with one of them, they'll all tell you the same story. There won't be a deviation from what I have just told you because it is how it works. And you know what? It's not so unlike every other job that we have. You know, a baker gets promoted based on the number of roles he makes, right? And a doctor, she gets promoted based on the number of cases she solves. So there are all those, it's just the way life works. And takes the intellect out of it, right? It's just real simple. You just look at a number, bottom line, you go, they're good, next case, you know? But it's wrong. And and let me give you an example. One of the things that we talk about, not in the book, but in another book that, that I'm writing, talks about, okay, how do you catch the real bad guys? And here's an example how you catch the bad guys. Under federal and state law, a product that's stolen has no right of privacy, okay? Pro- Things don't have rights of privacy, but just bear with humor me for just a second here. If I took a pallet of really expensive laptops, okay, and I laid them out on a loading dock, and in that loading dock pallet of computers, I have some really top-of-the-line computers as well as some just some average ones, and I just let them get stolen, okay? I, I let them get stolen, and then I track them for six months or a year because there's no right to privacy with stolen goods, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't have the same restrictions on looking at tracking these notepads, all right? And then based on whatever I need to do in the next six months of reviewing data that shows up on these laptops, I then go out and I bust, you know, 400 bad guys who steal stuff in the community. Now, that's using a different approach to just stopping every car and asking if I can search it, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the uh, the casting the wide net approach the other way where you're just going to try to pull everybody over and see who the criminal are as opposed to actually trying to specifically target people that are doing a certain clearly illegal activity. And that's right. But, for example, in Jacksonville and the surrounding counties, there are about 500 traffic tickets written a day, give or take, okay? And that's a revenue generator as well. So people have to pay tickets to you. You're not going to be able to force law enforcement to stop issuing citations. People live off of that. We have but to look at the red light cameras that are now proliferating, you know? And with red light cameras, you just, you don't get the points now, but you do pay the 158 bucks. And I can personally attest to that fact, having received camera tickets. Out here in California, I've never gotten one, but I know people that have gotten them for 350, 450, something like that. Really, really high amounts for the red light cameras. Well, and it's just revenue generating. I think the the statistics really reflect that there are more accidents when there's a red light camera because people tend to slam on their brakes. 
Well, sure, you're, you're driving through, and maybe the light's turning yellow, and you know you're good, but suddenly you see a red light camera, and now you think, maybe I gotta slam on the brakes, because if you're a split second off, suddenly you're gonna get a ticket in the mail. That's right. That is just revenue generation. That's taxation at its most basic. Now, let's get into a few of your tips here, some of your advice. Now, just off the bat, what are some of the biggest mistakes that people make when they first encounter a police officer? They're not pleasant, <laughs> right? I, I mean, that's it. I, I Listen, I have let more people go from traffic tickets who simply said, Officer, I know why you... Now, now, by the way, as a criminal defense attorney, I would never want you to do this. Let me be clear, okay? Because I wouldn't want you to admit anything, but I'm just telling you as a practical... Uh, matter when when people would say to me, officer, I, I know I was speeding. I'm sorry. I was thinking about A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, and I, I I'm sorry. I'll I'll take the ticket. I'd look at them <laughs> because people so rarely did that, and I'd say, look at their license, and I'd make sure it was a good license, and I'd say, have a nice day, Mr. Smith. Sure, they kind of win you over by being a respectable person and not yeah, being a jerk to you. Sure. I mean, because no matter what you think about the system or the role of police officers, when it comes down to it, and you're sitting in your car or what have you, talking to a police officer, it's two individuals. So even if you think that the reason you got pulled over is ridiculous or, you know, you don't think that the cops should be on the street in the first place, that stuff's pretty irrelevant by the time you guys are having that conversation. So it behooves everybody to be polite in that situation, no matter what your beliefs are about how you got there, why you're pulled yeah. over, any of that stuff, because at the end of the day, you're talking to another human being and no one likes to be disrespected. I used to live in a small beach community, Manhattan Beach out here in Los Angeles, and I worked at a bar once a week and uh, I would leave. So I'd leave the bar at the time it closes around two in the morning. So I can't tell you how many times I got pulled over driving home because it's, you know, you're a, you're a young looking kid and it's 2.30 in the morning and officers probably think I'm just thinking the way they're thinking well there's a decent chance this guy might have had a drink and if that's the case well you know that's an easy way to an arrest but um you know I've been pulled over several times and I was a little nervous even not having had a drink I would be nervous just because you get that kind of feeling when you see the lights go on you know even if you're quote-unquote not doing anything wrong you get nervous but what I always try to do is take a deep breath you know think about the situation and just Realize that I'm talking to another human being. Treat them like I'd like to be treated. Be respectful. And I, I even had a taillight out one time, but, you know, I was really nice to the guys. Like, look, I'm really sorry. I didn't really realize I had that. I'll get taken care of. And he let me go without a problem. So, I mean, that might not happen in every case, but there are ways you can certainly control the situation and, you know, just by your attitude. So I think that's a very sound advice. I think if you can make the police officer laugh, you're well on your way to not getting a ticket. Right. And I think... You do that by by just saying, you know, who's causing this problem? It's me. <laughs> you know, and laugh along with it. So, uh, I, but the key here, and I think so many people miss this, is that you just need to be polite. And that's true not only in police-citizen encounters, it's true in almost everything we do in life. Absolutely. Now, let's talk a little bit more about, since we're talking about getting pulled over, you know, how do your rights change when you are the driver of a vehicle? I know that's not exactly the same as if you're just a pedestrian on the street. There, You're kind of in a different situation when you have that driver's license, you have the registered vehicle. So how exactly do your rights change when you kind of get behind the wheel? Well, obviously, the states would prefer to have us all believe that it is a privilege, not a right, to drive. I certainly have made the argument on a number of occasions that you, you got to be able to drive to be able to live. 
bus transportation, particularly in the south, doesn't go to new developing areas, and you can't work if you're in the, the labor. You know, if you're a contractor or you're a framer or you're a roofer, how are you going to get there without driving? And so I think arbitrarily, uh, we, we put people in a position where they have to drive. If they don't have enough money, clearly they're driving in a vehicle that is not properly insured, that is not safe, perhaps, that they don't have a license because they've gotten a ticket which they haven't paid, so their license is suspended. All those horrible things can happen. And so when you're in a car, the police have a right to regulate you. I mean, we all agree to that about speeding and turning inappropriately or driving down the wrong way in a roadway, whatever it is. So when you're driving, the police officer has the right to watch you, and when they observe you making a traffic violation, which, again, most all of us do, and I don't know any red-blooded American, seeing a police officer in the rearview mirror doesn't get nervous. I haven't met that person, unless they're some sort of sociopath, schizophrenic of some kind. <laughs> and we, we all get scared. And so the key to this is you, you pull over, you roll down your window, partly, not necessarily all the way, and you provide the officer with the information. You're polite and you're respectful. And then you just be quiet. So when the officer, what I teach in the book, is when the officer tries this word trick with you, which is, you don't have any guns or narcotics in your car, do you? you of course, you say, of course not, officer. Instead of saying, of course, not officer, you say officer. Uh, you know, I have been cooperative here for the last five, ten minutes, whatever it is. I was late when you stopped me. I am later now. And we all forget that we are going somewhere when we're in a car. We've all got it in our mind that we're going someplace. So I never advise you to lie to the police officer. Don't say, I'm rushing to the hospital because I've got, I'm in cardiac arrest when you're not. What you say is, I'm going to my mother's house. I'm going to my brother's house. Now, obviously, you're not going to say, I'm going to get some dope from my pusher. You're not going to admit some criminal offense. But you were going someplace, and you say, an officer, I really would like to get there, and I don't mean to be offensive. May I go, please? And that's it. Because once you start down the path of saying, no, I don't have any guns or narcotics in my car, and then the officer says, well, you don't mind if I search, then you, you just open yourself up to surrender your Fourth Amendment protection, which prohibits the officer from looking into your car unless he has a search warrant or, in the case of a vehicle, because of a funny case that happened years ago, if he has probable cause to believe that you've been involved in a criminal event. An example of that is you're driving a red Ford Maverick and a robbery just occurred up the road in a red Ford Maverick. Then he probably has probable cause to search your car, and you don't want to have dope in your car, marijuana or cocaine or a, a stolen firearm in your car if you are in that circumstance. But the bottom line is the officer does not have a right to search your car uh, unless you give it to him absent some probable cause like I just mentioned. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen any YouTube videos out there. There's all sorts of videos people post of them getting pulled over, um, often at traffic stops. Sometimes it's, and they also do stuff with Border Patrol agents and stuff like that. But they they always use this phrase, and it seems like a magic phrase. And I don't know if, if, you've, if you've seen these videos at all, but they say, uh, am I being detained? And they'll just say that over and over, and, and or they'll say it a couple times, and then eventually the officer will usually let them go. So is that, I mean, that might be a more, um, you know, less polite way to go about it. That might make a confrontation out of it. 
You can't be impolite. And, and think about it. The officer's stopping you, and you say, am I detained? That's not what you say. You give the officer a moment to do what she's going to do, and then after that moment, if they pursue trying to search your car or something, you say, may I leave? Am I free? Right. It's a much nicer way to phrase it, isn't it? <laughs> Same thing's accomplished, but it's just less antagonistic. Because I'll assure you that years ago, had someone said that to me, they'd have, immediately, they'd have been in jail. Let there be no question about that, okay? Today, it's a little different because we have electronics. You know, everybody, you know, it's easy to secret a recording device in your car. I don't necessarily recommend that. Every state's different. Some have two-party consent states, Florida is an example, where you can't record audio conversation between yourself and another party without everybody's consent, particularly a police officer. So if in your state it's a single-party consent and you, you conceal an audio recording device in your car and the officer misbehaves, well, you probably get out of the problem. Later, down the road, after you've been arrested, after your fingerprints have been taken, after you're in NCIC, you may get the whole thing thrown out. But you're still going to be in the electronic plantation. And that's what I warn people about. We, we think, oh, but I won. I eventually went to court, and they threw it out, and I was exonerated. I was, and, and I'm bringing a civil suit against the officer. Okay? Well, that's all well and good, sport. But when they check your ID, they're going to find out you were arrested for resisting with violence a police officer, in the lawful performance of her duty. And any employer who sees those words is going to go, next. Yeah, I mean, and even when a police officer might search you, if they pull you over at a later date and they see you were arrested for X event, then that might change their attitude towards that encounter with you as well. So, I mean, just that one arrest can change every single police encounter or attempt to get a job, anything in your life. And once again, that is why you wrote this book, Arrest Proof Yourself. And that is why you're out there speaking about this stuff and doing what you're doing. And I, I think it's a really great service. It's not a mindset we see very often. You know, there's a lot of activists out there that are always pushing your rights and the ways you can deal with police. And they're not necessarily wrong in principle, but the kind of the tack that they take, I think, can often be dangerous because it can lead to people unnecessarily getting arrested. And like you said, you know, you got the evidence, you were in the right, all of that stuff. You go to court, you think you won, but A, you're still in that system. B, how much time and money did you just spend out of your normal life where you could have been doing so many other productive things? How much time and money have you now spent just trying to fight this law just because you wanted to say, am I being detained instead of, you know, That's officer, right. may I leave? That that kind of thing. So it's, it's little stuff like that that I really think is great about your book. A lot of it is common sense, but a lot of it is stuff that you just really might not think about if you're just going about your day and aren't really thinking about how you're going to communicate with a police officer or what have you. Um, Adele, this, this show is about ideas when it comes right down to it. The, I like to discuss the philosophy of liberty. But today's show was a little more of a kind of a practical guide, a, a how to keep your wits about you situation. And, you know, and the reason I want to do that is because I can talk about philosophy all day long and the ideas of liberty. But if, uh, if my listeners are all in jail, it's not really going to matter. Or if everyone's out there getting arrested because they think they're promoting their rights or what have you. You mentioned you obviously had a point in your life where you were on one side of law enforcement and you realized that the system, the way it was, was just wrong. There's a perverse incentive there. The incentive is to get people arrested, you know, not to actually prevent crime or stop crime or what have you. So I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on what law enforcement should be. You know, what should the actual 
goal be and how do you think you know how can this system be changed in a way that actually has the proper incentives for law enforcement as opposed to the perverse incentives in place today i think the simple answer is it's quality over quantity i think that's what it has to be i think there have to be new metrics for selecting detectives and i think there has to be an incentive to for every community to respect that we are not simply the toys of government to be twisted around at their pleasure. I think that every human being is valuable. Every human being can make a contribution. And would you marginalize that when you permit the system to marginalize people in this way by arresting them and marking them indelibly and permanently? I think that's just wrong. And I think we can all look at it and recognize that. So... I think that it, it has to be basically a view toward, all right, we want to live in a safe community. How are we going to get there? How do we identify the real scumballs and dirtbags that need to be removed from all of the rest of us without injuring the fabric of our community? And I don't think anybody looks at it like that because it's too simple to just, you got thousands of laws out there. It's too simple to let the officers simply enforce the laws, become law enforcement instead of public safety. And I, although I would never want to go back to the time in our country when law enforcement were brutal against men of women of color or minorities or, or just the poor, but I will tell you there's a really great Norman Rockwell painting of a fat police officer sitting on a drugstore stool <laughs> to a little kid who's carrying a long pole with a sack wrapped with all his possessions. And you know that that police officer is explaining to that young kid why he doesn't have to run away from home. That doesn't typically exist in our law enforcement community any longer. You know, that's a real positive role model of helping a child, a young man in this case, not become a runaway and doing positive things for the community by sitting down and having a uh, a soda with this kid in Norman Rockwell's mind. And I think we can all just use a little kindness with one another, in, in particularly in the law enforcement sense, and move away from simply statistical accomplishments, which really are meaningless. You can bend that almost any way you want. Uh, and so if I were to make some changes, it would clearly be quality over quantity, and I think you can do that in today's public safety environment. I am familiar with that painting, actually, because my dad was a huge Norman Rockwell fan, so he was always showing me all of a lot of his work, and I, I do remember that specific painting, so it's interesting you bring that up. But, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. If that's, if that's the kind of thing people saw police officers doing, helping old ladies across the street, saving kittens, stopping crime in progress, helping a kid get home, that kind of stuff, I don't think you would see so much of the bad attitude people have towards police officers, because I know, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking to a police officer right now. There are obviously police officers out there who are good people, who are not, you know, always just trying to get people arrested. I, and you even mentioned people use discretion. A lot of times you'd let people off if you knew they couldn't afford a ticket. So, I mean, I'm sure there are many other police officers that have a lot of good in them, but the problem is that the ins- this this system, this incentive system, would tend to bring the bad out of them, if anything, because they're not rewarded for the good. They're not going to be rewarded for helping the kid get home. Well, who did you arrest? You know, nobody. So I really appreciate your work in pointing out this problem with the system, as well as giving people practical, everyday advice 
as you have on how to avoid being arrested as you have with your book arrest proof dale carson thank you so much for coming on the show today i really do appreciate it before i let you go uh, why don't you just let everyone out there know ways they can get in touch with you or find your books or anything else you're working on tv appearances anything else you got going on or if you'll just uh, google dale carson law we keep pretty active on the social media and things of that nature so we're out there and we're delighted to talk to anybody any group about these circumstances because we all want to live in an environment that's not only safe but it's pleasurable life is short as it turns out dale carson thank you very much you have a good one man i appreciate it take care you too. Talk to you. You'll be back after a little break do you want your kids to meet the champion of the constitution what if there was an illustrated book that introduced libertarianism to you through the story of ron paul's amazing life What if this biography breaks down complex concepts like Austrian economic theory, the dangers of the Federal Reserve, blowback, and non-interventionist foreign policy? What if I told you this book is real and available? What if I told you that school libraries accept donations? What if you donate a copy to your local school library and give hundreds of youth the opportunity to meet Ron Paul? What if you don't? Who will? The book is Meet Ron Paul. And you can get your copy today at lionsofliberty.com slash Paul. As Ron Paul has said, there can be no revolution without a revolution in education. Meet Ron Paul and keep the liberty movement moving. Hey guys, Mark Clare here, lionsofliberty.com, where we strive to advance the ideas of liberty daily. We bring you the Morning Roar! That's right, every Monday to Friday we'll have a brand new edition of the Morning Roar where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media or even in your typical social media news feed. We find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. Every Monday we have our longest running feature, Mondays with Murray, named after the great libertarian Murray Rothbard, where we'll examine an article or an excerpt from his works and help convey his view along with our little spin as well. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at LionsOfLiberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily. Chris Rossini's new book, Set Money Free with a special forward written by Ron Paul. Everything you need to know about the Federal Reserve in less than 250 pages. Get 25% off at lulu.com. Chris Rossini's Set Money Free. This is Glenn Jacobs, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, welcome back from break, and what a great interview with Dale Carson. I hope you guys found this interview useful and informative. I certainly did, and I highly recommend Mr. Carson's book, Arrest Proof Yourself, again. You know, it's not going to teach you how to get away with a real crime. That is not either of our purpose here. But it really gives a lot of practical advice about how to not get arrested. You know, because as Mr. Carson said, once you get arrested, you are in that system. You are in that database. And it can affect everything you do for the rest of your life, even if you're later exonerated 
and found completely innocent. So the key is to not get arrested in the first place. Now, I mentioned earlier there are a lot of people out there that post videos of police encounters, and a lot of them are great. A lot of them are great, but a lot of them also start with a very confrontational attitude. You know, am I being detained? Am I being detained? And while I agree you have a right not to be detained, you have a right to speak to a police officer however you want, but you have to realize there are certain consequences that might come with the way you act, and it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. And yeah, a lot of the stuff police officers do is wrong, but the time for a philosophical debate is not when you're sitting in your car talking to a police officer. That's the time to hopefully just move along with your day and the situation in a peaceful way without facing arrest. And, you know, something Mr. Carson emphasized throughout is just your attitude. Like I said, having a polite attitude, even against somebody you already might feel is your enemy because they're the police or what have you. If you have a better attitude, there's a better chance that the situation will diffuse itself. Now, not everybody that makes these these kind of police videos are, are doing it in a bad way. I don't want to imply that at all. I think a lot of people out there do them in a very good way. And, uh, you know, Adam Kokesh in particular, I think he he has a lot of videos out there where he gets into really good conversations with the police. He's always very polite, very respectful. And, you know, Adam himself has been arrested, of course, as well for another act of civil disobedience in which he was aware that he would likely get arrested. Point being, there are ways to go about things. And if the goal is to not get arrested, which it really should be for most of us, I know some people are going to go practice civil disobedience knowing they're going to get arrested. And, you know, I'm not going to say you shouldn't do that. I think it's often not the wisest case. But there are certain circumstances where, you know, maybe it is just time to take up and practice civil disobedience. You know, I'm not saying that doesn't have its place in society, but you really got to pick your battles. And more often than not, the battle to pick is not the one where you get pulled over on the way home from work and you're having a bad day. That's not the time to pick the battle. That's the time to be polite you know, and get yourself home and not get arrested. So please do consider checking out Mr. Carson's book, Arrest Proof. And hey, if you want to buy it, come on over to Lions of Liberty. We'll have a link over at the post for this podcast. And also, if you go over to the right-hand side of our website, I don't plug this nearly enough. But if you want to support what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty, what I'm doing here with the Lions of Liberty podcast, go over to the right-hand side of our website, scroll down a little bit, you'll see the Amazon banner, click on that thing. Anything you buy on Amazon will get a little kickback for us. Help us keep the lights on here in the Lions of Liberty studio. Help us keep pumping out these great interviews. Help us keep keeping that website up because, you know, we're putting all our time into this, all our effort into it because we think it's important. And if you think it's important too, please just consider doing some of your shopping through that Amazon link. If it's stuff you would already buy already, it's not going to cost you an extra dime to do it through our link. So we really do appreciate that. I also want you to come, of course, join the conversation. If you have any stories to share, maybe about a police encounter or anything at all, questions to ask, suggestions for future guests, please do feel free to join us on our social media, facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty, over at the Twitter, at Lions of Liberty, over on Google+, we're everywhere. You can also email me, mark, M-A-R-C, at lionsofliberty.com. I don't ask that much of you guys. All I ask is that you check out our social media. Also, if you like this show, go to iTunes, subscribe. Even if that's not the way you listen, subscribe on iTunes, write us a review, hopefully a positive one, but I'm not going to tell you what to write. That will really help more people see our show, help us move up in the rankings there and just get these ideas out to more people. 
So that's your task list, guys. Social media, go to iTunes, and of course, please don't get arrested. And lastly, live long! And live free.